0: Hi, thanks for listening to the Arizona Equals Conversation. I'm Jean Woodbury. I'm the Policy and Communications Director for Equality Arizona and the host of this podcast. Arizona Equals is an interview podcast where I sit down and talk with LGBT people living in Arizona about their lives and experiences in the state. Today on the show, I talk with Noel Canas about growing up in Arizona and leaving the Catholic Church about substance abuse and the healing power of nature, and discuss some of the barriers there are to finding and connecting to queer community and queer resources outside of a few neighborhoods in Phoenix. Noelle is a local artist and activist who's been doing some really incredible community work recently in the East Valley. I was really happy to have the chance to record this conversation with her for the podcast, and I hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. As a reminder, we're always looking for new guests to interview on the podcast, so if you're queer and you live in Arizona, visit equalityarizona.org stories to sign up. And now, I'll let Noelle introduce herself and get the conversation started.
1: My name is Noelle Conyers. my pronouns are she, her, and aka I also go by Daddy Satan, my drag name. I am 27 and I'm pansexual, I'm also biracial, and I am born and raised in Arizona. And I love art, I love drag, and I was brought up in the Catholic Church, so I am well-rounded, a little bit weird, but I know there are people out there just like me too. <laughs>
0: Wonderful. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you for coming and speaking at the march. It was awesome. Like, literally could not have gone better than what happened.
0: <laughs> you know, I was really impressed. Like, you emailed me, asked me to be part of that. I was really excited to be part of it because we've seen a lot of really successful rallies at the Capitol, but not that kind of mobilization around trans rights. Right. Not at that scale. Yeah. When I got there, I thought, oh, this is a lot of people. And then it got, like four times bigger (laughs) Uh, by the end of that it was a really big crew i'll have to put a photo because you got that great photo of like the whole Mm -hmm. group i'll have to put that in the show notes for the podcast
1: yeah
0: can you tell me a little bit about how that came together the trans rights rally
1: yeah it actually was a national one and i saw a post for it on instagram and i'm like i bet nobody in arizona signed up and i looked and there was nothing and um, I was the creative director and secretary for um, Queer QueerZona, and I was like, "Well, since I already volunteered with them, I bet like we could make it an event and then promote it from there." And it went off without a hit.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. But you said you were the secretary yes. and creative director. Yes. Um, but you've, you've moved on from your organization?
1: Yes, I was there for six months starting in November of 2021. Uh, we did a ton of great stuff, but I wanted to go somewhere else that was a little bit different, maybe match what I was thinking a little bit more, I guess. Um, but I just signed up to be a volunteer for Drag Queen Story Hour, and I'm going to be doing some photography, videography, YouTube stuff for them.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, where could people follow that work? Uh, is there like a Facebook page or an oh, Instagram account or For
1: anything? Drag Queen Story yeah. Hour? I think it's Drag Queen Story Hour AZ for Instagram. Okay. And then I think their website might just be the national website. I'll have to double okay, check on that. that makes sense. But I'll be working for the AZ chapter of it.
0: Okay, that's really exciting. Yeah. Uh, how, did, how did that connection come about?
1: Um, that's a good one. Um, I actually met David Boyles. When was the first time I met him? Okay, so he is the uh, president of the Arizona chapter for Drag Queen Story Hour. Oh, cool. I can't quite remember the first time I met him. It, it might have been on Instagram. Nice. And um, he actually knows a bunch of my coworkers, and they host queer movie nights at his place.
0: Oh, that's so cool.
1: Yeah. And so he invited me over to one of them, and it was uh, really nice to see familiar faces, especially ones that are queer. And yeah. A lot of the queer people that I work with actually helped me come out of the closet more too. So it was a little bit of a full circle moment.
0: Oh yeah, that's amazing. Yeah,
1: and he heard about um, my first drag show that was going to be at the QueerZona... artist showcase and that was back in March of last year
0: yeah I saw something about that that looked really good
1: yeah it was a lot of fun we just had a lot of uh, comedians dancers singers just anyone from the community these are all like
0: queer comedians yes oh that's so great yeah
1: it was just we wanted everybody to have a space to showcase what they got and also places for queers to meet up and be entertained and just be around community yeah that's awesome um but yeah pretty much he came to my first drag show there and we just kind of been friends since then so yeah that's really cool (laughs) yeah
0: so how long have you been connected to like the drag scene here in town
1: not a lot at all um that artist showcase that we had was my very first show and it was just a community show so it was me getting my feet wet for sure Um, since then, I've only had one other show, and it was a virtual show through um, a LGBTQ club with ASU. Nice. And um, they were super fun. Everybody there was like really nice and really accepting. And the whole show was about like new performers, maybe never done it before. And I was very impressed with everybody's artistic skills and also how nice they were. But, um, yeah, I'm very much getting my feet wet. I just got a drag mother, and uh, I'm trying to get on some local shows. So, doing little steps.
0: Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you have a lot of queer yeah. co-workers who helped you come out. Um, are those, well, first of all, where do you work and Tell me a little bit about that dynamic.
1: Yeah, I work at the Chandler Library, and it was, it it always seemed kind of like a queer friendly place. Like it was safe to be here, but I only came out like just before the pandemic. So, in the beginning stages, I was very much still trying to pass because that was what was safe to me, and it was also very scary to come out of the closet. Yeah. And um, so when I came here, I started noticing that there were um, a lot of lesbians that worked here and other people that identified as queer, and they were just living as themselves without question, and if anybody had anything to say, like, it didn't bother them, and it just kind of confused me at first because I was like, are you guys supposed to, like, hide? Like, uh, that's what I've been doing this whole time. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, the more that they just lived as themselves and nothing negative came of it, I was like, I guess I can do this, too.
0: <laughs> that's so great. Yeah. Um, that makes me think, that's early pandemic, right? You're working at a library. I was also working at a library nice. right at the beginning of the pandemic. I got hired in February 2020. Ooh. And a month later, I was sent home <laughs> to figure out what is even going to happen, yep. right? We got brought back. We were doing this curbside pickup service. And it was just a totally different world from the library being like a safe space yep. for people to come into. And people who can't always go into other places are welcome at the library. Uh, I know the situation was different in Chandler, mm-hmm. Uh, but what was it like for you as, as a worker in the library during that period?
1: Um, it was really scary because, like you were saying, we didn't even know what's going to happen with the world at the moment, let alone our jobs. So I remember one day our manager had us all come in for a meeting and she was like, is everyone okay? And we we're like, why? What's happening? She's like, we're closing today. So, that alone was scary because pretty much everything we'd known was just thrown out the door. Yeah. And um, so, from that point on, it was very weird because we didn't have any of our typical job duties. Like, um, the position I was hired in is 100% customer focused, all my whole duty was answering customer questions. Yeah. And so they didn't really have much for us to do, but she fought to keep us on and, like, not for the city to lay us off or anything, which was super helpful, yes. Um, But then she had to find stuff for us to do. So it was a lot of busy work of just, like, going through the entire collection, weeding out very gross items we Mm -hmm. may have found. Yeah. Um, But it was also nice because it was an opportunity she gave us to do some career building. Um, One of the services we offer through the library is LinkedIn Learning. So I got to take different classes just for my professional career. And they're all for free and you get certificates at the end. So it was good. It was definitely scary, but there were benefits to it as well.
0: That's wonderful. We did a lot of that kind of professional development, especially early on when we were just at home. They said, hey, spend a certain amount of time each week just learning and growing in your skills. What are you hoping to move towards in your career?
1: Um, My dream would be a full-time artist. If I could have a YouTube channel where I just display all of my different forms of art, but also incorporate activism into that, I think that would be, like, the most I could ever ask for, and it would be amazing.
0: (laughs) I mean, that does sound great. Yes. (laughs) We've gotten now a few times to that intersection of art and activism, whether it's through the drag shows or that whole performance scene with comedians and singers. How does that work for you personally? How do you bring in your art and your creativity and, and merge that with activism?
1: Um, very creatively, which is good because I'm a creative person. (laughs) Um, one of my biggest ideas that I'm thinking of is for one of my series of the YouTube channel will be called What the Fuck Makeup, and I will be doing my makeup while talking about things that just make me go, what the fuck? And so, like, I love to read NPR articles, AP articles, and anything that's not, uh, Fake news, <laughs> you know. So, I like to stay educated, and um, I also like to keep up on all of the bills that are being passed and like the sketchy yeah. things that are going in with local politics. So, if I can educate myself and then share what I learn through my art, which is makeup and quite a few other things, yeah. I think that would be great because then not only am I learning, but people around me are learning while also being entertained. And I get to showcase things that I've learned, but also things that I have talent in, like makeup.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I actually think that's really important. Instead of just, here's the dry details. Like, here's how you, as a queer person living in Arizona, relate to this and how your art relates to it. It, It's more personal, and people can relate to it more on on their own terms. For sure. That's a really cool idea. Thank you. Um, You mentioned tracking negative bills, mm-hmm. all just the nonsense that happens in the state legislature about LGBT rights. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw, but l- towards the end of the session a few different uh, Republican leaders said that they wanted to introduce a bill to ban drag shows in some way, or make it some kind of misdemeanor to bring kids to drag shows. Mm-hmm. There's been, all around the country, people going to libraries and breaking up drag queen story time events as you move into that, that work, I mean, not only working at a library professionally, but doing that volunteer work. um, Is that something that you're paying close attention to and that you're worried about? And do you have any kind of response for how you're going to deal with that if it becomes a problem?
1: Yeah, I definitely suffer through a lot of paranoia with all of this stuff going on um, because I mean, it's kind of a weird spot. This is America. We're allowed to have, like, freedom of things, including freedom of thought. So people can think negatively of LGBTQ all they want, but once they start passing bills against us, where is the freedom? Where is the equality in that? It's so anti-American. And it's also very hypocritical because how many dads out there are taking their sons to Hooters? Like, that's pretty much the same thing, if not worse, than going to a drag show because... You're just objectifying a woman and sexualizing her for her body instead, whereas drag, you are celebrating yourself. You're celebrating all of the creative things that are inside of you, all of the ideas and all of the passions, and you get to showcase that to the community, and it's something that's not one way. It's definitely like everybody gains from that. Celebrating yourself. Other people get to learn, well, I can celebrate myself and whatever weirdness that might be as well. So I think it's hypocritical for people to be so against drag because it's just about loving yourself. And honestly, it makes me sad because I see how much of the population does not love themselves and they fight against anything else that shows that. It's very disheartening. But um, I definitely have paranoia around uh, some of the more aggressive tactics they've used, such as the Proud Boys showing up with guns at events or protests coming to Drag Queen Story Hour. It's scary. Like, where is the freedom in that? I just want to be able to live myself and share that with people. And then to have people come and threaten you because of that, because of the love that you want to share, is super scary. Um... So the way that I'm currently dealing with it is going to therapy twice a week. (laughs) Oh,
0: good. I mean, that's really good. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about therapy, but actually my most recent interview I did was with an LGBT therapist. Mm -hmm. And we talked a lot about the challenges queer people face sometimes finding a therapist who even understands queer identities in the first place. That's definitely a problem I've had. I spent a long time trying to find a therapist who could actually... Get past identity questions and work with me on some of the other things I needed to work on. Um, is that something that you've experienced?
1: Definitely. Um, my first therapist that I went to, um, I was very scared to even go. And I had, uh, when I was about 18, I had left the Catholic Church, which I was heavily indoctrinated into. Mm. And um, so the therapist I was going to was through my EAP with work. So I'm like, okay, free therapist, it's going to be okay. So I type in the address to my um, Google. She takes me there, and it's at a church. Oh, no. And I'm like, where am I? And so anyway, I follow through. I meet with this lady who says that she's a therapist. And by the end of the session, she goes, wow, you really are crazy, aren't you? so that was that was rough (laughs)
0: yeah that's just not what you needed at all
1: no not especially for my therapist (laughs) right um and then after her i went to another one and she was just so generic she came off as an ad pretty much like i did not learn a single thing from her and then after that uh the therapist that i have now um i think i may have even met her before i came out so it wasn't something i even knew how to express myself very much but when I did slowly start to express myself or even acknowledge that I was not straight, she didn't have a problem with it. And I was like, oh, I can finally like be at ease. I don't have to be stressed yeah. out about just being myself. So it was really nice to have a safe space to talk about things like that.
0: Yeah, it Um, sounds like it really helped.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Just so I probably started talking about LGBTQ things with her because of RuPaul. And I would just mention like, oh, like I learned some things from RuPaul. Like he's... Some of his sayings, like, his mantras really helped me, like, if those bitches ain't paying your bills, then pay those bitches no mine. Like, (laughs) that's so simple, but little mantras, they really do help me get through life in general. And she knew who RuPaul was. Like, just knowing, I was, like, very much impressed. So she's one of the best allies I've ever come across. But I know how tough it is out there to find therapists. My partner's been through the same exact thing, like... Uh, they all just kind of judge a book by the cover, especially in terms of gender, yeah. and it's not helpful to need to go to somebody to have a space, safe space to talk about these things with, and them not understand you at all or not even want to try to understand or educate themselves is super difficult.
0: Yeah. So
1: we've both finally got a safe space.
0: Oh, I'm glad. Yeah. You know, you mentioned something. I thought it was a perfect description of drag that people really miss sometimes when they focus on, it's a performance, these are the elements that I'm seeing, but you characterized it as showcasing yourself Mm -hmm. to your community. Mm -hmm. I think that's actually where coming out comes from, Mm -hmm. coming out in like a debutante sense, Mm -hmm. right? And I love that image of drag. Uh, That's just really kind of underappreciated. I loved how you said it. Um, It sounds like that's been a big experience for you over the past couple years of just really being able to come out and showcase yourself to the community. Definitely. But you mentioned um, until you were 18, you were in a different space. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you grow up here in Arizona?
1: Yeah, born and raised in Arizona. Even my parents as well. They're both from very small towns here in Arizona. Um, So I don't think they really knew any better coming to a big city and... Just brought the things they knew, which was religion, especially for my dad. And especially him being Hispanic, it's something that's ingrained in you from a very young age. Um, So, yeah, I was heavily into the Catholic Church when I was a kid and made me feel alone more than anything.
0: (laughs) So when you were there and you were really embedded in the church, it wasn't something that was giving you community. It was something that actually made you feel alienated?
1: yeah i definitely felt like i was different um for example when i was a kid i even wanted tattoos and i would express that to the kids in youth group or my youth minister and they'd be like noel isn't that a little too masculine for you and that just made me question like i didn't understand tattoos were masculine and even if they are why is that bad and do i have to live to a certain woman's standard? just because I'm a Catholic woman, it was tough.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I, I think what's interesting is I've, I've spoken to queer people who have that experience of being really alienated and isolated inside their faith community. And I've spoken to queer people who, that community is actually like so essential to their to their life. And then they find out, oh, I actually don't fit here. And it can be a break. When you did leave the church, What was that experience like for
1: you? Uh, It was a horrible time in my life. Um, Being so excluded, what felt like in my family, at school, and at the church, Um, I was desperate for love and desperate for attention and any type of community. So I found that in really bad people that treated me horribly and I ended up being sexually assaulted by a fellow Christian. So it was really strange to me, like, how could God allow sexual assault by another one of his followers to somebody who is so dedicated to it? Like, at the time, my life was Christianity and, like, fighting for it felt like you're fighting the good fight. You're spreading the good word. <laughs> yeah. But for that to still happen, it just felt like, why? And then all of the injustices of everything, like colonialism and oh so the list is literally endless um just really made me be like you know what i think the catholic church is not for me
0: (laughs) right it sounds like you've gotten to a much better place now um you mentioned a student group that connected you to some of the first drag shows and that was through ASU. Did you go to ASU?
1: Um, I didn't. I actually found that through David Boyle's again. Um, oh, okay, he had shared one of their posts that was advertising for that show, and it said, "Are you a new drag artist? Apply to the inquiries," which is the name of the show. And I was like, okay, I'll click on this. And they ended up accepting me into it. So I didn't know any of the people, and I didn't even know anything about the school, really. But they were all super nice, super helpful, and they really acknowledged all of the work that we put into making the videos, which was uh, really validating as well.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yay! So if you don't mind, I want to backtrack a little bit to that growing up in Arizona experience. Uh, I don't have family in Arizona from before you know, I moved here. We all moved here when I was pretty young. But I'm always interested in that experience of, you, know, you mentioned your parents are from small towns in Arizona. What part of the state, and have you always been kind of in the metro area, or did you also have that small town experience?
1: So my parents are from uh, two different areas. So my dad is from Ajo, Arizona, which is really close to the border of Mexico. And then my mom is from a even smaller town called Roll, which is kind of an hour away from Yuma. And there's just a ton of really tiny like four street towns right around there. Um, so they both moved here. I'm not sure what year, um, but when we started out here, like when I was born, we were definitely living in a trailer park. And until I was four years old, we just kind of lived that trailer park life. And then um, my dad, he got on working with some local city government, but in their fleet department as a mechanic. Oh, cool. And um, so we were like slowly starting to get better and better with finances, I guess. And then it moved to the border uh, right between Scottsdale and Phoenix. So, I had this city life growing up, but going to my grandparents, whether it was Ajo or in Yuma, um, it was uh, something I was very jealous of because life over there seems so much slower, so much calmer, and almost a little bit more natural, whereas here it's always like, go, 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 portray the perfect image, go, go, go. So it was wild.
0: (laughs) Do you ever think about moving to a different area of the state? At some point in your life?
1: Um, I would actually love to move just about anywhere, even if it's out of the country. And if it was somewhat rural and I'm able to have a little bit of land and a couple of animals, that sounds amazing.
0: (laughs) That does sound amazing.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Do you think that's a future you could have in Arizona? Or do you think Arizona is not going to be a welcoming place for you?
1: Yeah, I don't really see Arizona as the place for me anymore, which is sad because growing up, like both of my grandparents were very much involved with the nature and surrounding me with nature because I think that's probably integral to living small town life, like it's kind of all there is to do. Um, so I'll definitely miss the desert and I'll always be a desert girl at heart, but I, I don't feel completely welcoming here. like. Where can queer people go in Arizona? There's a few gay bars, and they're pretty much all centered in Phoenix, and there's like one in Scottsdale. And I live very far East Mesa, so that's a 45 minute drive for me, while gas is around $5 a gallon. So it's not always possible for me to just hop over to a drag show. And on top of that, I don't drink, and I don't, uh, I get a little nervous around people who drink as well. So, it kind of feels like in Arizona, they just force you to live the nightlife and there's nowhere else for us to congregate, Yeah, which was one of the main reasons that we started QueerZona. Like we wanted to have spaces for people to come and meet other like-minded people to be safe together and do things that didn't revolve around nightlife or the influence of like maybe the pressure of drinking.
0: Yeah. I'd love to talk more about that East Valley queer experience. And maybe some of the work you did at Queerizona, um, I saw some of like the nature walks. I saw something at the riparian preserve. Yeah. I just love that place. Yes. Um, how did you go about creating those programs and bringing people into that? Because I know, like, I mean, regardless of the price of gas, it can take 45 minutes to get from one part of the East Valley to another part of the East Valley. True. <laughs> uh, so what was that like trying to breathe some life into that community?
1: Um, It was interesting, but I always had a drive for it because I didn't want people to feel alienated the way that I did, especially in the East Valley. Like, We did want to include events in Phoenix, but we wanted to include events all over the valley because we know that queers don't just be born in one city or in one area. We know that we're everywhere, and um, so I wanted to host things that were anywhere people would be able to get to um and as far as the nature walks i wanted something that would be free mainly because i know that queer people might not have um financial advantages as people that aren't queer so i wanted to not have to add financial stress to people just wanting to hang out with each other yeah and on top of that i find nature incredibly healing and um walking is also like just a natural thing to do. It's so natural. So I'm like, all of this is good for us. Let's be queer together. Let's do things that are good for your health. And let's just have fun together. And it was always a good time. Everybody was super nice. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And I really appreciate that perspective of not creating spaces that require queer people who, like you say, frequently don't have the economic uh, mobility of other people or the economic
1: Advantages,
0: Right. Um, Creating a space where they don't have to pay to get in Mm -hmm. and they don't have to buy drinks to stay there. Right. Um, I really appreciate that perspective. Thank
1: Um, you.
0: And I I also think it's interesting to talk about sobriety and and queer culture. Uh, If you don't mind if I ask a question about that. Yeah. Um, Do you think that that's something that creates barriers for a lot of people? Because I know, like, as a community, we do deal with more substance abuse issues mm-hmm. proportionately. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think that's something that's keeping people out of community spaces?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or it's something that you've seen keep people out?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's definitely interesting. And I'd like to first say, like, I don't blame anybody who goes to substances, especially in the queer community, because we face so much discrimination and hate on a daily basis. I totally understand the need and the want to get out of the present moment. Yeah. Whether it is something that's not good for you or something that is good for you, um, it doesn't really matter. Like I know what it's like. So I feel you if you're out there and you're going through that. But um, I feel like it almost is the expectation for queer people to just party every night. and Or even if it's not every night, it's like every weekend I like, go out get drinks, go get drunk. Um, which like, again, no foul to wanting to live it up, like it's your life and we're totally allowed to do that. But, um, I don't know. I just feel like, like it's a replacement to happiness almost. Like for me, true happiness is going on this healing journey, which is kind of like leaving substances and distractions behind, which is a lot of growing pains. Um, but I don't know, the present moment has so much to offer and substances that take you out of the present moment kind of steal the present moment away from you at the same time. Like whether you're just trying to do it to cope or not, I don't know. It just really makes me sad, honestly. (laughs) I also with like nightlife uh, and with the nature walks, just those specifically, it was, um, I felt bad for a lot of the people that wanted to do things later in the day, but I had to work or something like that. And they're like, we don't wake up early because we just partied last night. And I'm like, oh, man, like uh, I send out my nature vibes to all 'all. (laughs) (laughs) y'all.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, it sounds like it's been a really positive experience for you to step away from that and really immerse yourself in the nature and the immediacy of community. Definitely. and I think it's wonderful because I, I know that there's things outside of nightlife, but sometimes that's the way you find it. Mm-hmm. And so it can be difficult if you're thinking, you know, I, I can't go out or I just don't feel like it or it's not going to be good for me on some level. Then, well, now I'm staying at home.
1: Mm-hmm. What do
0: I do? Where do I go? Mm-hmm. In the East Valley, it can just be difficult to find a place to go anyway. Yeah. Uh, That's definitely an experience that I know a little bit about. Um, I I grew up in South Tempe, so not maybe the true East Valley, but I did spend a lot of time in the East Valley. Nice. And I didn't know where to look. I didn't know where to look for services, for queer health care, trans health care. I didn't know where to look for community. Yep. Um, And it was just all kind of an accident that I found anything, Uh, and also just, you know, a lot of research, a lot of Google searches. (laughs) But with what you're doing, um, what you did at Arizona, what you're doing moving forward, it feels like you're really investing in that that local community in a way that I really hope helps people. Uh, And it seems like it's helping you. Is that kind of the intention behind how you approach this work?
1: Um, I think it came second hand. My priority was all about community because I don't want people to feel the way that I have felt before. I don't want people to feel excluded and not have anywhere to go and not have friends that are like you. And it is super disheart- disheartening to even have friends that might even joke about your queerness or joke about, like, for me, all of the women friends I've ever had would always... Like say that I was lesbian in a joking way, or they would just make fun of how masculine I was. And right. I, I'm not lesbian now. I'm pansexual, and um, for them to say those things before I ever even came out was also like super hurtful. And maybe another reason why I refused to come out for such a long time. I was like, I don't want to prove those people right oh, in right, a way. Yeah.
0: They kind of stole that from you.
1: Definitely, yeah. Um, so. It was um, surprising to go to all of these events, and afterwards, like, I felt so loved at the end of it. And it wasn't something that I thought would happen. I thought it would just be, like, I thought it would kind of be, like, work. Oh, right. But seeing all these people so happy and... A lot of people have made best friends just out of coming to the events so good it literally just like lit my soul on fire i was so happy for these people and now i have some friends too and it's just a lot different as to where i've been in the past
0: (laughs) yeah oh that's so amazing well i think that's kind of a great place to wrap up the, the conversation um but thanks so much for recording with me. I'm glad we were able to make this happen. Yeah. And thanks for all the work you do.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for the work you do as well. It was amazing to see you at the March for Trans Justice, And I only hope all of that energy we put out there expands and love grows even more. <laughs> me too.
0: <laughs> Yay! Yeah. Thanks again to Noelle for being my guest on the podcast today. And thanks to all of you for listening. As a reminder, if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode of the show you can visit equalityarizona.org slash stories. To get involved with our events and volunteer opportunities, visit equalityarizona.org slash events.